Um, welcome all new Room One members to our second quarter um, and Room One in general. It's going to be an amazing year. And I'm just hitting record. Okay. So I'm Kelly. Um, just wanted to give you a couple of house rules before we get started. Um, welcome. These are all recorded. The video will then be uploaded on the Kajabi site, and then the audio is pulled and put on a private podcast for you to listen to at 1.5 speed or however you like to consume at your commute or how, you know, whenever. So two different ways to listen to this and consume it if you can't make the group sessions. We don't expect you to make all of them. We, we make them randomly at different times of the day and week in hopes that with our all of our very busy lives, we can all make some of them. Um, and I think we ask pretty frequently, like, does this work for you? You know, what times are good? What times are bad? And we, and we can see how many people show up to see if, you know, you know, 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, not a lot of people show up. Or, yeah, we had like 10 people show up. So we kind of pay attention to what the popular times are, knowing that no time will work for everybody. And that's okay. That's not our intention that you have to make them all. Um, I'm part of a group coaching membership and I make, I hardly even make like a live one at all in a month, but I consume so many of them on my commute. Um, and it still provides so much value and so much for me to think about and the positive mindset work and all of that stuff. So by no means don't feel like it's a competition or you need to, or you should get rid of that right now. Um, second house rule is we try to keep this as anonymous as possible, knowing that nothing in the world electronically can ever be 100% anonymous. Um, but we either encourage you to change your name on the way in. Nobody can see who's in here except for the panelists, right? So nobody's going to see your name if you're just sitting in the audience. And so either change your name before you come in, or you can always change it when you're in there. And then when I bring people on or Jess brings people on to coaching, we'll just come up with goofy names and I never have enough creative names. So I usually like name it on the days of the week or the weather because that's about as creative or like Disney princess names. Um, so the other thing we do is we try to keep your video off when you're being coached. So it's just your voice. Um, and so if you have a picture of you on your Zoom, um, just be aware of that because that might come up. Um, but what we've been doing is just instead of even making you a panelist, we've just been allowing you to talk as an attendee. Um, and that seems to not pop up things then. So we do our very best to be as anonymous as possible. So I thought for tonight, because we're in the second quarter of the year, and just again to revisit for all the new people, we've divvied up this year in terms of quarters. So the first quarter, as a recap, and all of this is available if you want to listen to it all, is it was about the mind. I really focused on awareness of the mind and the fact that the mind creates thoughts and that choosing to believe these thoughts is optional. Choosing to act on our thoughts is optional. Creating that pause between what happens in the world and how we react to it is a superpower that can be strengthened with practice. But instead of stimulus response, stimulus response, it can be stimulus pause, choosing how to respond. That's not how we're told to adult. So it actually takes a lot of practice, but you can get better at it. 
um, by appreciating that, that pause. So the mind for me was all about uh, attention to thoughts. What are your thoughts telling you? What are your repetitive thoughts? Um, what are the thoughts that are serving you? And then the thoughts in your life that aren't serving you or holding you back. Um, and then just awareness. So a lot of people, when they are kind of intro to mind work, intro to coaching, we all get it. Like I, I did this too, but you get to the, like, oh, I'm in control of the thoughts and they're not facts. They're not like tattooed in the brain. I just want to change all my thoughts to be positive or good. Right. And then we beat ourselves up when they aren't, or we beat ourselves up when we don't believe them, or we beat ourselves up for having negative thoughts. We beat ourselves up for having repetitive thoughts. I should be over this right now. My mom guilt, you know, like the phases of mom guilt, like I should be done with mom guilt right now. I've spent three years coaching on mom guilt. I sh it should be better. Just an awareness of that extra pressure we put on ourselves to try to like control what's happening in our brain. So much neuroscientists don't even fully understand where the heck these thoughts are coming from. 50,000 a day. Like, I don't know who did a clicker for that. But like the amount of thoughts that happen and then like some of them are just on repeat and very loud. Some of them are very quiet. So quarter one was mind, quarter two is body. That's where we are in now. Quarter three, I believe three is soul and then work. But I can't remember if it's work and soul, but I think it's soul. Spiritual soul, something like that. And then work. Um, does it again for new people, it doesn't mean like that we're in the body quarter. It does not mean you have to be coached on something that's happening in your body. <laughs> it's more just like an awareness of the concepts of the importance of our body, um, which I think is incredibly important coming from surgical training. There's so much in our surgical training that tells us to suppress the body and not even surgical training, but physician training. There's so much because Western medicine was developed with a separation of mind and body. We didn't know anything about the black box that existed above the neck. So we learned as much as we could about the body and called the mind too difficult, basically. Um, so the separation of body and mind in Western medicine trickles down to how we even treat pain now, right? Like the, the problems your knee knowing that pain's actually created in the mind and all the important roles that mind and mind work plays in helping chronic pain. Um, so that's why body's so important is because it's actually because we ignore it. Uh, I would probably say the same thing about spirit and soul. And then work, how to make work easier, complications, difficult people, nursing staff, all the things which that happen with work. So we thought that would be a nice, Mind, body, spirit, work. <laughs> that said, most of the things people get coached about uh, tend to be work-related, which is not bad. So point being, if you're new, it is the body section. That doesn't mean you have to be coached on body. And I think a lot of people for body think of it like we're just going to teach you how to exercise more. Um, body is so much more broad than that, so much more more than that. When we think about thoughts and feelings, right? And so much of what we do, our motivational triad is to avoid feeling certain feelings or to try to feel certain feelings, right? So what we are as human beings is we either wanna be drawn towards something for what it will give us or get us or produce for us, or we withdraw from stuff because of how it makes us feel. 
so basically like how we operate is based upon wanting this, not wanting that approaching, withdrawing, approaching, withdrawing the motivational triad, just to draw it out real quick. Think about the motivational triad. Humans do three things. Animals do three things. We want pleasure, avoid pain. So plus, plus pleasure, avoid pain, and then neutral. Or the other word for neutral is conserving energy. Conserve. And thinking about what our body does to help us seek pleasure, avoid pain, or conserve energy um, is really important. So it's, it's a foreign concept for, I think, surgeons and physicians in general to discuss feeling our feelings because we have been taught to suppress them. Just think don't feel, what are you making this mean? Think, 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 cognitive, 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 and not paying attention to the feelings. But feelings are really what drive our actions, right? And the actions being conserve energy, go for something, get away from something. So feelings are sensations in our body. And so many people are disconnected from what they're feeling in their body and the feelings that our body has and avoiding that. If you th well, let's just take buffering. I'm sure you guys will hear about buffering, but let's take, let's take drinking, for example. So many things we do, scrolling on social media, drinking alcohol, uh, binging my Haagen-Dazs mint chip ice cream, whatever we do, those actions, those bingings are done to avoid feeling, either to get some positive or to avoid feeling negative. And you get to the underlying, like, why am I drinking at night after I come home from a 24-hour shift? I'm trying to avoid feeling what I'm feeling. Um, so sensations in our body are, they can be labeled, we can locate them, they can be sharp or dull. And in feeling a feeling, this, the again, neuroscientists say we feel our feelings. Feelings will pass through a body in about 90 seconds. I don't know who said this quote, but basically like nobody ever dies from feeling a feeling, but we die from doing things to try to avoid feeling those feelings, whether it's alcohol, drugs, violence, um, binge eating, wh whatever we're doing, right? It's to numb the feelings that, because we think the feelings are so bad, but when we actually get good at feeling our feelings, we realize they're temporary, they pass. And the more we process them or kind of work through them and feel them in our, feel, our body and let them go, they don't hurt us and they'll go away. And that's kind of what processing a feeling means instead of resisting a feeling. Like shame is there, but I do not wanna feel shame. It would be horrible to feel shame. Instead of feeling shame, I'm gonna talk bad about somebody, binge, watch Netflix, drink alcohol, whatever I'm gonna do. I per personally am very new to feeling shame. It's very unpleasant for me. I do not like feeling shame. It feels horrible. But being in it and feeling it, it passes. And then I haven't done all of those, those negative things, those negative like coping behaviors that we do to avoid feeling feelings. We think something's gone horribly wrong when we have a negative emotion or a negative feeling. Our society, marketing in general, tells us it should be good all the time. Outcomes should always be good. 
we should, if we're, if we're successful, if we're happy all the time. And the way the coaching world speaks is that there are only good feelings so we know what bad is and vice versa. There's bad feelings so we know what good is. If it was happy all the time, we have no freaking clue what happy was because we didn't have the contrast. And the contrast is what makes life full and makes life interesting. It makes life diverse. So there's no bad, bad feelings. There are negative emotions you don't want to feel and positive emotions you want to feel. But in the coaching world, we would argue they are all feelings worth feeling because avoiding the negative ones is actually what causes us pain. I was coaching somebody a while ago and they were trying to not be sad about a patient outcome. And it was like, this is probably a great time to just be sad, but not wanting to feel sad because of feeling sad, she was wanting to avoid that. So what you can do is you can say, where does sad, where do I feel sad in my body? feel it in my chest and you can you can label it is it is it moving is it a size is it a color is it heavy is it light you can give it a texture it can move it can pass so really wanted to spend the day feeling talking about feeling about feelings um, because it's really essential to understanding our bodies understanding ourselves and why feelings again were created right our brain takes in the world and then we feel it in our body. And that feeling moves us towards something or moves us away for something. In our coaching school, we are trained that thoughts always come first and thoughts create feelings. I don't 100% agree with that. I think when you like reflect on an experience like we do in coaching, we can be like, what were you thinking when the nurse manager yelled at you or whatever? But in that instant, you're not like, hold on, let me think so I can feel like it's the frontal lobe is too slow. Sometimes our senses take information in, it goes straight to the amygdala and the cingulate gyrus and the kind of the midbrain bypassing the cognitive frontal lobe. So it really does go cognitive input feeling in our body. So it's still going through the brain because everything we experience in the world has to come through a sense, right? still going through the brain into the body as a feeling, but not having that cognitive awareness of a thought that always happens beforehand, especially in a trauma sort of situation, um, because how the body responds to trauma is really to, to shut off that advanced cognitive, because the cognitive part of our brain is actually the slowest. It takes a ton of energy to run that hardware and it'll shut off in times of stress. So the body's like, you don't have time to cognitively evaluate, put this into a sentence, find the words, it's too slow. So we take it in, we feel it in our body. Now how the, how the model goes in coaching is a circumstance creates a thought, creates a feeling, that feeling again, driving our action, responding, doing or not doing, right? Which create our results. But I would say in the moment, you're not always cognitively aware of what that thought is. You can find it on reflection. Um, but anybody who's done any sort of trauma work really understands how people's frontal brains shut down during trauma. They're actually, and that's why some memories are so bad of trauma experiences because you didn't create the sentence paragraph understanding of it because that part of the brain was offline during that experience. Um, but they can describe it in their body. They sensed it, even though they can't, didn't cognitively 
process it at the time. So those are feelings. What I'm going to do, what I do for coaching is I just have you guys raise your hand and then I pull you on first come first serve. So I'll give you the opportunity to raise hands. Um, also type in the chat box if you have any questions about what the heck is going on. <laughs> if, if you missed the, the beginning of my spiel or have other questions. And then um, the one other thing while you guys are raising your hands, I wanted to talk about indulgent emotions. Uh, I'm going to flip to my indulgent emo emotion section. So indulgent emotions are things that are kind of like stuck on repeat in our brain that um, don't help us. And we don't really realize that they are changeable, avoidable, swappable. So this, I'm going to just read this section about indulgent emotions. Um, Emotions can be habitual and distractions from other emotions that need to be addressed, right? So like, for example, like worry. If you're just worried all the time, you don't have any bandwidth for any other emotion. You're not letting it in because you're just doing worry all the time. So the most common indulgent emotions are worry, confusion, and overwhelm. I would add anger. Some people just have anger all the time. Um, and then people will, will be like, yeah, well, I'm angry all the time because of the OR and the patients and the hospital system. Not realizing that anger can be a choice. It's habitual. So you're again, not cognitively thinking like, oh, I, today, Tuesday, I choose anger. But habitual in a sense, like I'm so used to acting out of anger towards what's going on in my life that I think what's going on in my life is causing that anger. Instead of, no, 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 that's just my default tends to be, again, I'm picking on anger, sorry, I may know a thing or two about it, um, is it's a protector. Anger is a very much a protector. Anger can certainly be a trauma response from past things that have happened to us when we were more vulnerable or less able to have agency in our life. Um, so things to think about with anger. I think a big thing about coaching is like, just teach me not to be angry. Like you first have to understand that it's a habitual response for people. And it might actually come from being traumatized in the past, childhood trauma, tra resident trauma, training, protecting yourself, not it being not okay to be vulnerable in situations can lead to the default protection of having anger as your response to many, many things. Um, so indulgent emotions, especially like overwhelm, and stuff like that is like when you're stuck in overwhelm, it's hard to do everything else. Or people will be like, I'm just confused. I just don't know. I just don't know. And a lot of coaching will be like, if you did know, what would you know? If they actually kind of make you say it, if you did know, what would you do? Because that I don't know thing tends to just get people really stuck where they are. And that's why they call it indulgent because like you could just be stuck in I don't know and overwhelm for your whole life. You will never move out of it until you're like, is this serving me? Is there a way out of this? Am I choosing just to be overwhelmed and not know because it's actually safe? You're actually in a safe spot when you don't know what the next step is or you don't know how to get to your dream. That's a safe, right? Because the brain actually doesn't want to get out of the cave and realizing like, Living my dream is going to be scary. It is going to be unknown. And I'm going to choose it anyways, right? But if the only feeling you're, you're hanging on to and you're really good at overwhelm and uncertainty, it'll keep you stuck in life. 
That's why they call it an indulgent emotion because you're like, I'm just kind of stuck here. It's not my fault of like, well, you're one way to be there is because it, it actually protects you, right? I don't have to go do the next big scary thing because I'm stuck in confusion and realizing our power over that. Again, that obs the observing self um, of being aware of what's going on. It's kind of like, if you're like a fish in a fishbowl and there's this big ocean, right? But you're like the fish in the fishbowl and all you see is like, you don't know that there's this big ocean, but then if you can look at yourself being like, oh, as a fish in a fishbowl, I see I'm only doing this with my life. There's all this other stuff, but you've got to be able to like be a third party viewer to see it. So there's 22 minutes of feelings and intro. I love you guys so much. Let's coach. Okay, I'm going to change name. I'm going to allow you to talk. Hi, one second. I'm just going to put on headphones. <laughs> I think I hear you. Can you hear me? Hello. There you are. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I just wanted to put on headphones real quick. How are you? So good. I've got my tea. I can like not get warm today. <laughs> um that sounds unfortunate because it's already april right i know yeah. sometimes summer comes very late in washington state yes oh. what's going on what's coming up for you um yeah so um i so uh our practice manager um recently announced that she is leaving the group um and i know i figured at some point um she would leave because i just think the partners are running her to the ground um but I didn't think it would be during this time where there's like so much change and so much turnover in our group. Um, there are, you know, like big issues with the group every week that I can like barely keep on top of them. Like I'll process one, something else happens, you know, three days later, like process that, something else happens three days later. Um, but she has always sort of been like the buffer, the security blanket. And so when she sat me down a few days ago and said she was leaving, I just, you know, talking about feelings, um, felt all this anxiety. Um, part of it is um, the group has had a ton of turnover with staff, which I think, you know, with um, the great resignation everyone has. Um, but most of our staff has only been working there for less than a year. And I'm new too. I've only been there for six months. Um, the practice manager has worked in different roles for eight years. So if, you know, if I ever didn't know anything, I could always go to her and she would say, this is where you find this, or this is how you do this, or the surgeon you replaced, like, this is what he used to do. And it was so helpful. Um, you know, part of this is, um, is that the, uh, so it's a small group. Um, it's two, basically two surgeons that are partners and then couple of us that are employees and they are very, very uninvolved, very like disengaged from, I guess, like the day-to-day -day business of the group. Um, they just, you know, have their own clinical practices and that's it. If you come to them with issues, they're not going to solve them. They're going to tell you, oh, go to her or like go to somebody else or whatever. Um, so I felt that starting 
new in this group, it was really helpful to have her there because at least there was someone I could go to. Um, I also feel that she is a very good buffer between um, me and the partners. Um, at my previous job, I had a really bad experience um, sort of standing up for myself, saying kind of what my practice needed, this, that, and the other. Um, it um, sort of revealed that the old surgeon I was working under, you know, had not started the program correctly. And basically that surgeon had me terminated for, I guess, not like bringing it to light, but, you know, um, just the issues I was bringing up, it was, well, why aren't, you know, why didn't the chief of the service like take care of this when they were developing the program? Mm -hmm. So I feel very anxious that if she leaves, I won't have a buffer between me and the partners and that I am going to have to go to them directly um, and say, you know, on like a more routine basis, what I need. Um, I am planning on sitting down with them soon because like my first six months has just been a shit show and I'm not sure like how they think that can continue. Um, but I'm, you know, anxious that with her leaving and me having to, you know, go to them more routinely um, with you know, things they may or may not want to be involved with, that it'll again be, oh, she's like the surgeon that's bringing up issues. Okay, time for you to go type of thing. Mm -hmm. So many good places to go. Do you want to speak? Because we're talking about feelings, but we don't have to talk about like, do you want to work on the anxiety thing? Or should we work on the, the picture of the manager leaving? What feels strong? Um, what feels strongest to you tonight? I feel like they're both related. Um, because I feel like I have anxiety because she is leaving. Now, I will say, like, um, that's kind of we're off the path too much, but I have a ton of anxiety with this job. I mean, I never used to have the Sunday scaries. I never understood what those were. And like I literally get the Sunday scaries the Wednesday before like the following week, because everything is just so crazy here. Like nothing is stable right now. Well, um, so I kind of feel like the anxiety and her leaving are interrelated. Right, right. Yeah. And it's almost like the, we've got this anxiety feeling going on and then we're like, oh no, it's going to get worse now. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, I don't think it's like a bad thing to clean house from time to time, but it's like, well, do we have to clean like house in every single department in the group right now? That's how I felt with COVID. I was like, and this week and this week. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. You know what, maybe, maybe we should. Yeah. I think maybe the bigger issue is actually her leaving. Um, Cause I know what has happened is we have our own surgery center. We hired a new OR manager and he also, you know, there, there's things that need to be changed, but he is also hesitant to like go to the managing partner and say, this is what needs to change. So he tries to come to me and I'm like, I'm new. I can't do anything. So then it defaults to her, like the buffer for everyone in the group to, you know, try to solve these problems. What are you making her leaving mean? Um, I feel if she leaves that I won't have any support. I should say I would not have any direct support there, like on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Um, and what, 
what would you say if you were like again pie in the sky you don't have to believe these things but it's just kind of playing with thoughts right is there any way that her leaving could be working for you yeah i mean like i said um cleaning house is not a bad thing um you know, it's good and bad that she's been there for a while. It's good because, you know, she's not afraid to go to the managing partner and say, you need to do this, this, and that. But, you know, they've kind of overworked her and been unreasonable in a way. And I, I wonder if they would behave differently with someone who's new to the group as opposed to someone they know. So it may, you know, lead to other changes in behavior. I don't know. Yeah, it's like some self-awareness on, on behalf of the, the people that she's working around. Possibly. Um, what if this, what if the scenario is what's supposed to be happening right now? What do you mean? What if you were just allowing this to happen? Like just saying, okay, you leave, like, that's it. Yeah. It's like, like, instead of having the resistance to it, and wishing mm-hmm. it was different, just be like, this is what's going on. Mm. What comes yeah, up? I think what comes up when you're like, <laughs> what, what comes up when you're like, oh, you, you mean I don't, what if I don't fight with reality? What if you're just like, this is what's happening? Uh, you know, the thing is, is now that she's leaving, she's like starting to air, to me at least, like the dirty laundry. Um, which is kind of good for me. Cause then I know when it comes time for partnership, like what I'm kind of up against. Um, but I don't know. I feel like even if I'm like, okay, this is fine. That maybe I'll be like, oh shit, you know, like on April 30th, like the day after she's gone type of thing. What, what if it's not fine? That's, that's the, that's what I'm playing. What if it's not fine, but this is exactly what's happening. Um, so, okay. So if it's not fine, um, but this is what ha- is happening, I think, again, my concern would be, cause there's, you know, been, you know, I think every surgeon starting in a new practice, there's always some nonsense for the first few months. Um, but I think it's very hard for me to sit with it's fine, partly because of what happened to me at my old job. Um, but now, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, well, I don't want to go to them with, you know, daily issues, mostly because they're so disinterested in solving them. I don't want to be like the annoying, you know, junior surgeon. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you want to feel about her leaving? Um, I guess I want to feel hopeful. I mean, practice management is not her passion. She wants to be like patient facing doing clinical stuff. So, you know, she's going to do something great, whatever her next step is. Um, but I want to still feel hopeful about, okay, getting my practice off the ground, like making things work with this group for the next few years. And I guess not being so dependent on one employee, um, cause especially with so much turnover, I mean, right. anyone could be leaving at any time now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, seeing her leaving as like practice for you yeah right like even just an awareness practice of like what comes up oh stuff about my old job comes up isn't that right she's you know she's not involved with that stuff coming up right like just the awareness 
of what's coming up for you as just a you know personal growth tool because in the future people are going to leave again right right and because that's what people that that's what people get to do <laughs> right and it's like noticing our attachment to trying to want to make situations be different than what they are mm -hmm. right of like what is this what is this, this is how it was meant to be she was always gonna leave right now this much into you during the practice, she was going to leave. You just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I figured she'd leave at some point. I just didn't <laughs> think it was now. So it's like, I'm leaving. I was like, wait, don't leave me. We had a hug. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. And, and just like being able to, you know, what we're doing is we're basically untangling the spaghetti on the plate, right? Um, yeah. How is this working for you? How do you want to feel? What if it was totally neutral? What if yeah. like all these different, and then you're like, oh, it turns out I want to think about how I communicate with my partners or I want to think about like as, as a growth opportunity because she's leaving. Mm -hmm. And then I always think like, I always think often it comes back to us fighting with reality. You know, like right. if she just wouldn't leave, I wouldn't have to, this wouldn't, this is, this problem wouldn't appear, you know? And it's like, we're creating our own suffering in that. It yeah. has to do with her leaving. It has something to do with us resisting the reality of what's happening. Right, right. I guess there's been like so much change. I mean, literally, it's like every week. You know what? I, I feel like I could write a sitcom about our practice. Um, it's just gotten like so laughable, like all the nonsense every week. But I think she was so stable because she, you know, she was like the one person that's been there for that long. And now I'm like, oh, well, things aren't going to be stable anymore. Yeah. What if, And what if... You took that thought of like, this is life. This is life and we're in dealing with other people is like, it's never stable. But almost using that as like, you're shining the light on reality of it instead of like, I thought when I got done with residency, I was just going to have one job and it was all going to be good until I retired on the golf course. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I'd be on like my second job in three years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I've been through four practice managers at this point, like getting to a point where you're like, you know, it's, it's almost like surfing the waves, right? Yeah. Like here comes another wave. Didn't see it coming. Actually got a bunch of salt water in my mouth, but there's going to be waves instead of always being like, God damn it. Where are these waves coming from? Why me? It must be because I'm horrible. And we're like, no, no, no. Nobody just told you that like you're in an ocean of like other people with their own lives. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I mean, so from what I understand, it sounds like they get a new practice manager every two to three years because they get set up because that uh, what I'm finding for the dirty laundry is that the two partners actually don't get along. And because of that, they won't talk to each other about issues in the practice, which again, like it is kind of good to know all this now. Um, I think anyway, um, but they change practice managers like every two to three years. So I guess this will just be the norm. Mm -hmm. Could be. It good to know, right? Yeah. Then you could be like, does that work for us? Or should I be part of being like, Hey, maybe five years with a practice manager might be nice. Right. Cause at some point you'll, you get to choose. Now I know all this and I choose to be partner or I choose not to be partner. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, that could be a positive as I'm learning the real deal now um, instead of, you know, like a year or two down the line, whenever they decide to offer that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the other good thing to know is like, there's no job where there's no waves. Like there just isn't. Right. Because I think a, a good amount of people are like, I just thought you like showed up, took home a paycheck. And then there was a golf course at the end. And then, and then yeah. they're constantly searching for that green grass. And it's nowhere. And that's not, and it's not like, and that's not even to say like, it's all shitty. It's just, no, no, these are all like working with humans who have Mm -hmm. their own lives and have their own personalities. Like, that's just what happens when humans get together. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, you know, like I talked about, I think my bigger concern here is not even surfing the waves. It's, you know, this like, terrible thing happened at my old job when I spoke up. So I'm worried that now that there's not someone to speak up for me again, um, this group is very different from the other group. The other surgeon I worked under is like legitimately psychotic, um, and has like some sort of personality disorder, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's that like the little thought in my mind. Cause when I came to this practice, I said, okay, you know, things, um, didn't, work out there. Um, so just like kind of keep quiet, you know, a couple of years, take your boards, be offered partnership, and then you can deal with it. But now there's been like some delay in my boards and stuff, um, due to credentialing. So I'm like, okay, now I have to keep my mouth shut for like an extra year. And now the person who was my megaphone is gone or is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you can definitely see where that like resisting her leaving is like, no, no, no. She's like my security blanket. Yeah, she definitely is. Um, and a lot of things to unpack there too, as far as like you making the decision for other people to protect your voice now. Right. Mm-hmm. And is that, it, which is a very, like, of course, I think that happens to most of us when that happens. Right. Like, I think it's a very realistic thing to decide, but then again, you're now we're shining light on it. Right. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, I see what I'm doing now. I've got this insight that this is what she means in my life because I've making, I've made a decision. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you can be like, yeah. well, isn't that good to know? I'm worried that's that having my own voice might cause X, Y, and Z again, yeah. I know, you know, a whole nother thing we get to unspaghetti. But like mm-hmm. just the insight on that is amazing for you. Because if somebody without that insight could just be like, take her leaving and get pretty, you know, it's their fault she's leaving. Now I'm mad at them too and blah, blah, blah. Instead of like, oh, my problem with her leaving is me protect- trying to protect my voice. Isn't that interesting and good to know and realize those, those are my thoughts. So I will say like for the short time I've been doing coaching, I think I have pretty good insight, but then I just don't know what to do with that. Like, okay, I know that this is why I'm feeling this way, but then I don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, one thing you can do with it. Again, I think insight's so nice because it's allows for so much kindness mm-hmm. to yourself. And again, kindness, speaking about like, you know, the body and all that stuff, kindness just once you have that, I truly believe like the kindness on ourselves roots us and gives us a shield against the hail falling down. 
So we're like, I, I got myself. Cause I love myself no matter what I'm worthy, no matter what I'm veering off into like kindness of oneself, but like kindness of like, it's okay. I understand. I don't want to have my voice be heard because I had this traumatic experience, but I got myself. I love myself no matter what my, my voice is worthy. I'm going to just maybe take some baby steps and trying to remember what my voice sounds like. Just as an example of like, what do you do now that you have insight? Is realize I'm here. I want to be there. What what do I need to do? Because finding that practice manager to protect you your whole life is going to keep you exactly where you are. Yeah, I actually I like the uh, baby steps with the voice because um, like I manage I, like I mentioned I need to talk to partners anyway about some stuff. So I think I will nicely <laughs> like yeah. Uh, you know, find my voice there and then kind of see how they react and then decide like how much else I want to do like on a routine basis. Totally. And again, going back to the like kindness towards yourself on it, of like, of course, this is going to be scary. No matter what happens, I got myself. I'm not going to beat myself up about how other people treat me because the yeah. love for myself that's the only thing I get to carry with me, no matter what happens in life, because the practice managers are going to leave and that surgeon's going to quit and blah, blah, blah. So I, the kindness for myself is like the only solid thing that you get to like build and, and carry with you, no matter what wave you're currently surfing on. Yeah, that's a good point. You got this. Give us an update and bring back more. We'll definitely do uh, anxiety feelings. What did yeah. you say was the Wednesday or the Wednesday? Oh, I, I saw so the Sunday scaries. I start feeling like the Wednesday before Wednesday like today's Wednesday. And I'm already anxious about my next week, which is so stupid because I still have two days left in this week and a weekend. Right. I mean, that's the thing yeah. is like we wreck the, the week we have worrying about the week that's coming up. Yeah. I would, if you want homework, you do not have to do this. I would journal. I would journal that. Like, I know, you know, I know, um, you guys have been talking about it when I was younger, like in high school and college, I found journaling very helpful and this may sound like so stupid, but I feel like we're in such a tech world. I hate writing now. I'm like, Oh, this takes like so long to write things, you know, cause we're so used to like typing everything. So I feel like I've been resistant to journaling because I no longer like writing things. No. Think of it. You can help. <laughs> Think of it like yeah, for sure. going slow is the whole freaking point. <laughs> That's true, like, actually. <laughs> give your brain time because there will be stuff in there that'll come out and you'll be like, I had no idea this was in there because I didn't give it time to come out. There was this quote, I just read this quote. It was like, journaling is like way more patient than talking to somebody. Like, because the papers, the paper will be there for like an eon. It's like, I, I'm not in a hurry. What do you got? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's neuroscience. There is something to the hand on the paper, even more than like the computer um, or like right. phone. They've done, they've done studies on this of like people writing stuff and it being like way more creative and like able to be remembered when it's the hand written form, even over a computer. It, it's, I, I don't understand the neuroscience, but like, 
I don't know. It works for a reason. <laughs> I mean, I definitely believe that because when I was in residency and stuff studying for boards, I used to write out the notes like I would take from the review book and I found that much more helpful than typing. Them. Yeah. There's something that like yeah. locks it in the memory better. Yeah. Cool. So, all right. All right well, I'll, I'll give this homework a try. And uh, best of luck on the waves. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, I think we've got time for another one. Anybody want to raise their hand and come on? Who's surfing? Or if you have questions about any of the concepts, a feeling you're working with, anything. I know some of you are new and it'll be your first time coaching. I'm so proud of you. Okay, we are going to rename renaming you surfer because we are surfers on the wave of life my friends um allowed to talk i kid you not in covid it was one thing after a freaking another it was like now this employee is sleeping with this employee now the state wants this now this insurance it was like one after another and i got to the point where i was like this is just how it's supposed to be i'm just gonna allow all of it and the Suffering that we create by resisting reality creates so much personal suffering instead of allowing. Of course, this is what happens in a surgery practice. Of course, this is what happens in the chaos of COVID. Doesn't mean we're okay with it, but we're allowing it. And all that suffering, all that resistance to fighting reality decreases and it just lightens so much. Sorry, surfer tangent no worries um you're talking about the recurring thoughts and I guess I'm kind of curious or I've noticed that the one that I always go back to that I think is pretty common for a lot of people though is the not good enough that everything kind of boils down to that recurring thought so I'd love if you would dig a little bit more into once we become aware of them then what do we do with them <laughs> yeah yeah totally um seeing them again let's it's like, like we're walking around yeah, the thought of not good enough the other thing we're doing is we're realizing how often it comes up in life yeah. oh my god there I was again being inadequate right and like how, how frequently, cause I, I truly believe like coaching comes down to just a few things. It's like feeling not worthy, feeling not good enough, feelings of rejection. They're all kind of similar themes, right? And once you get the kind of the grasp of like, oh, maybe I didn't even put that thought in my head. That can be a very powerful, like a power move on there. I think of like, of course you think you're not good enough. Have you ever seen your, us marketing to anybody? Buy the better car, buy the better clothes, buy the weight loss pills, buy the hair dye, buy the prettier shoes, buy the sexier shoes. You're always not good enough in this society. If you were good enough, there would be nothing to sell to you, right? And then you're like, oh my God, our society tells us 50,000 times a day that we're not good enough. Add a level to that of 
if you're if you don't conform to society's ideals of gender, race, uh, height, thinness, weight, uh, religion, whatever it might be, the further we aren't conforming to what the perceived ideal is in society, the more not good enough is kind of poured on us, right? So they talk about like people who have like five different reasons that they don't match up. Point being, when you start thinking of a recurrent thought as it was not put there by you, it was actually, and it was actually started possibly in your childhood, let alone some of us have parents that tell us we're not good enough. Um, schooling that tell, right? Well, you're not good enough to get into a neurosurgery residency. Why don't you do this? Right? We've got schooling that if you're not good enough, you're not gonna go to Harvard, you're just gonna go to the state school. So our schooling tells us we're not good enough. So it's like, when you start seeing like, cause I think what a lot of us do is we see the thought of not good enough and then we start beating ourselves up for having the thought that we're not good enough, right? Like I shouldn't, I, I'm a really smart, educated, like high functioning woman. Why the hell do I think I'm not good enough? And we just like add on more slogging to the, like, not only am I not good enough, I can't stop thinking about not being good enough, right? And it's like, it's worse now. Um, instead of then what you can do is be like, the kind of non-attachment to the thought. Like, there's the thought again. Isn't that cute how that was put there when I was four, probably, by like Sesame Street or whatever? You can kind of make up your story about it. Like, for me, a recurring thought, personally, was is like mommy guilt. And when the coach was like, did you even put the mommy guilt in your own brain? Did you give yourself that thought? And I'm like, I can't actually remember giving myself that thought. It's probably put there by the stay-at-home moms and the society and the marketing and the, you know, all the other things. And it really helped me lose my attachment to like, why the hell do I have this thought in my head of mommy guilt or not good enough? And our lack of attachment to what we're making that mean. Of course I'm not good enough. Look at the society I live in. It is ridiculous that we treat women like this in our society. I'm going to go love on my kids or I'm going to, I'm going to go write the book or I'm going to go apply for this job or I'm going to do, you live your life anyway. Instead of saying, oh, I'm not good enough, must be right. Because now I know all thoughts are facts that can't be changed. And I have to listen to them all, right? Is like basically instead of like wishing it was a way or wishing it was different, realizing it doesn't have to have power on your actions in your life, unless you give it that power. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Anything coming up for you or any of that like new or not new or? Um, I don't know, I feel like I feel like I'm starting to learn all of that and be aware of it. So yeah, it is kind of helpful being aware of it, but it'd be kind of nice if it wasn't a recurring thought all the time. <laughs> it'd be awesome. You know what we do to make it not a recurring thought? We binge eat, we Netflix, we drink. <laughs> yeah. We, we do plenty to try to make it not a recurring thought. Yeah. Right, but like reprogramming. Letting it be in riding the wave. You ride the wave like eh, there's that thought everybody <laughs> has it 
guess what? Human brain, human brains think we're not good enough. Yeah. Like, and, you know, if you wanted to take the like evolutionary stint to it, because that's fun of like, do you think we built societies because we were good enough? Like <laughs> we, we got out of the cave because we didn't think it was enough. We survived. We like found, discovered new lands. We discovered new things to eat because what we had wasn't good enough. Like that's a, that's a human genetic program. Yeah. So like, I, and I think, you know, what I see a lot of people with, you know, with coaching do is they're like, they're trying to outthink the human brain that they have or like outsmart it or like out exist it or something like that. Of like, we can't actually exist outside of the human brain doing human brain things. Of like, of course, like freaking Oprah thinks she's not good enough. Like we have no, there's nothing great. Like if she, Oprah's not good enough, we're screwed. <laughs> you know, like everybody, everybody thinks they're not good enough. Except for those pathologic narcissists that tend to invade other countries and possibly do things. But yeah, I mean, like the people at the very, very top don't think they're good enough. The only difference is they didn't let that thought stop them. And we take it and we're like, well, it must be right because I'm having the thought, it must be right. Like, no, it's not right, it's just there. Like we, we, our brains are in serious need of like an operating system upgrade, but it's what we have. And it was, it's there to keep us safe and to keep us, you know, from starving in the cave. The brain doesn't want you to go have it. The brain actually doesn't want you to go live the most amazing life that you can live because it's scary. And the brain's like, no, couch and couch and hagen safer, right? like actually I think I have this big thing inside of me and I'm gonna figure out how to do it and part of it is being like seeing the thought and being like not today not today not good enough I'm not gonna choose that it's nice that you're there it's cute I'm sorry you've been here a long time in every single human brain but I'm gonna go submit this thing to this place so it's like seeing it awareness the way you kind of like don't so I would say like steps I'm just making this up on the fly like seeing it and the awareness of it. Cause people will live their entire life not realizing they're living their life because of their feeling of not good enough. Like they don't even have that insight. They're just playing small. So insight and then being able to realize like your attachment to it, right? Your playfulness with it. How much you wanna just freaking push it away and wish it wasn't there, which just wants to make it grow. Like, no, you're not listening. Let me show you how you're not good enough. Cause you're not listening. Cause you want me to go away. I must not be shouting loud enough. Um, so playing with it that way and then living your life how intentionally even though that feeling but not using that feeling not good enough as like a reason to drive you like it's there it's doing it's on its shelf I'm gonna go live this life I'm gonna go start this podcast I'm gonna start this YouTube channel I'm gonna ask this person out on a date whatever people want to do of like doing it because you want this intentional amazing life and you don't want to be hamstrung by a thought. Like, why do we even listen to the thought? That's when it, that's when it has its power, right? Yeah. And I think the other thing, 
with it is like working on the intentional self-love of like, we are all flawed. I'm flawed. We are all flawed and we're all doing the best we can. Like there's so much power in just like working on that side of things. Yeah. So in being aware of the, when you have that kind of recurring, not good enough thought and change it to the intentional thought. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. As option is like, there I am not good enough. And of course I'm every, I have everything I need right now to live my best life. Or I'm worthy just because I exist. That is all, all we need is that we, we have, we all have all the worthiness that we need right now. And it's within us. We, we think it's like, well, you know, the, when I get tenured or when I get this car, or when I have this bank account or what, like we're searching for that worthiness. And those are all external. They're all nice things, but they're all external. And none of those actually mean we're worthy. The worthiness truly is in our grounded self of like, because I exist, I matter and it's good enough. Now watch out world. And the other thing I've found, like the more you work on that self-love and that self-acceptance and that self, like I'm flawed and everybody else's, you're able to extend it outward way more, right? Cause if like, you're never good enough, guess what? Nobody else is either. And we act as if that, but if you're like, I'm totally flawed and I'm totally lovable, that person's totally flawed. And they're totally lovable. Let's go. Like the, the groundedness that we have in ourselves, we get to extend outwards. If we're always beating ourselves up for not being good enough, we're beating everybody else up for not being good enough too. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you're, and then your life will change. So people will be like, I feel really safe around this person because like they just seem to accept me for who I am. And that's, that's ultimately what we all want, right? How'd I do? Good. Thanks. Feeling okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, thank you, everybody who was new here. It was a great hour. Amazing things to work on self worth, groundedness, feeling it in your body, too. Seriously, there's something about like feeling like you have a solid core, grounded, that then lets, like, lets you go do whatever adventure you want because you know you got yourself. It's incredibly powerful. Takes practice though, because we were not taught this stuff. Have a good night. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.